basically right in the middle of those uh, because that's where those uh, those activity lines if, if you were to graph the activity versus temperature of these enzymes they're going to intersect at around 152 to 153 degrees Fahrenheit or I don't know 65 degrees Celsius something like that <laughs> your beer. My name is Garrett Allen and I am a professional brewer and an avid brewer at home. This is episode number 14. Today's topic is going to be mashing and giving you a thorough coverage of what you need to know. I know I said last week that I was going to do an episode on beer trends and what I'm seeing in the market and where I think things are heading. But I have zero qualifications on the subject, and I think I'd like to get someone on the show to talk about it who knows a little more on the business end of things and not just speaking out of his or her own butt. So I started recording the episode, and I was getting a little spicy with my own projections on uh, where I wanted the market to go and all that. So I, I was like putting, putting, I was projecting my own desires and stuff on yeah so i'll work on getting someone who isn't a wart jockey to come on and talk about it in the meantime uh, i got some feedback from a subscriber that he wants to learn more about mashing as he switches from extract to all grain this is awesome and i'm happy to help him give you information to the best of my abilities and i think some others can benefit from a little more knowledge on the subject even even if you feel you're in the more intermediate i think having a little more knowledge on the subject is beneficial especially if you're looking to take more control over your brewing so mashing is a part of brewing that can significantly impact the final flavor abv and mouthfeel of a beer and i think that sometimes it can be a little bit overlooked it can be much more than just hitting a single infusion, sacrification, rest temperature, but it also doesn't have to either uh, with today's extremely well-modified malts that make sugar efficiently and have readily available proteins and enzymes. However, getting and understanding the knowledge of the different ways your mash can be manipulated and what those changes will do can open up as many possibilities as turning those separate twin beds into bunks. So stay tuned for a quick overview of different aspects of mashing that, become, that can become useful for you in the future. And because the show is free, and I try to give you the best information I have and, and my experiences uh, to make your beer better or brew life easier, please consider a few of these quick asks. Uh, they help support me and keep all of this running. If you like this podcast and have found the information useful or interesting, please give a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. It helps drive organic growth and discussion, which is really awesome. And uh, please tell a friend. Follow me on Instagram for quick tips and fun photos. Handle is Progress Your Beer. And finally, I've spent a good year plus working on getting the New England IPA style figured out. At working at home, they would come out to bitter not hazy or not aromatic or flavorful enough. I tried different yeasts, different hopping regimens, uh, high chloride to sulfate ratios, 
but nothing really seemed to work until I started diving deep into my water ingredients and uh, beer stability. The best format for me to share with you that info uh, I, I've learned over these years um, is in video. And you can get that info by entering your name and email on the form in the form on progressyourbeer.com. I'll have the link in the description. So if you want to learn these keys for making better New England IPA and better beer in general, as all the topics I discuss uh, touch on the ideas and uh, just kind of general info that can be applied to all beer styles, uh, head on over, let me know who you are, and give me an email address where I can send your free short series uh, of video lessons on making New England IPA. And on top of giving you this short course, I will also be sending out the results and discussions about the projects I've mentioned in the past and will mention in the future. So get in before you miss out on those follow-up emails. Plus get weekly emails with a little more information or ideas that may not have made their way into the podcast content. And just as a quick side note, if you've signed up and don't see an email from me right away, check your spam. It's been a frustrating issue, but I've been having this ongoing thing with uh, with my emails going, with my confirmation emails going to people spam, especially with Gmail. Thank you. Now back to mashing techniques and how to manipulate your wart composition. We all know that a single infusion rest is versatile on its own. You can lower and raise the temperature of the rest of your mash rest to dictate the amount of simpler sugars available for the yeast to work on. Uh, but there are other parameters to look at as well to leverage the wort to your liking. Uh, so I'll start at the most basic and kind of work more and more technical through the show. Uh, it won't ever get extremely techy, but it will certainly get to be more than what a beginner may uh, want to attempt. So get the knowledge, but understand that you can make great beer with just a single infusion mash. Alright, so single infusion rest. This is the most basic and a really easy way to make good beer. I can honestly count the number of mashes that weren't a single temp rest on one hand, because this is the most convenient, easy, and quickest way to make wort. Uh, besides extract, of course. Um, so you're going to get your recipe uh, and grain bill, which for this type of rest should be utilizing a majority of well-modified base malt that's easy to work with. So floor malted barley is an option, but your efficiency will most likely be lower than if you were to use more highly modified. That's fine if you're cool with that, but know that going in. I personally use Wireman Pilsner malt for uh, the bases of most of my beers, but you know, just a Base pale, two-row malt, uh, pale ale malt, and even Vienna are all good malts to look to look at for base malts depending on the beer style you want to do. Now, based on the recipe and the style, determine how much sugar should be left over after fermentation is done. Um, this varies beer style to beer style. Uh, a thick boy pastry stout, you're going to probably want to ferment or... Uh, yeah, have a lot of leftover unfermentable sugars um, that give body and I wouldn't say sweetness, but an impression of sweetness. And so the higher the finishing gravity you want, um, the higher the rest temperature that you want. So a single infusion rest is basically an activity compromise between the two prominent enzymes in your wort. Uh, 
that, that are going to be working on those starches. Those two main ones are alpha and beta amylase. Alpha amylase is typically what is going to be used for breaking down starches into more soluble, smaller dextrins, um, and it is relatively resilient to temperature and is most active at uh, 158 degrees Fahrenheit or 70 degrees Celsius. Beta amylase is what is going to be creating maltose and contributing to most of the fermentability of your wort. So the more you favor this enzyme in your mash, the drier and more ethanol your beer will have. Its optimal temperature is around 143 degrees Fahrenheit or 62 degrees Celsius. So as a brewer, you probably want to, you know, if you're doing a single infusion mash uh, and it's just a normal, you know, say uh, a brown ale or an amber ale or what have you, you're most likely going to want to hit basically right in the middle of those uh, because that's where those uh, those activity lines, if, if you were to graph the activity versus temperature of these enzymes, they're going to intersect at around 152 to 153 degrees Fahrenheit or, I don't know, 65 degrees Celsius, something like that. So long story short, uh, the more fermentable of a beer you want, uh, the drier finished product with more alcohol, uh, you want to do a single rest at lower temperature of about 145 to 148 degrees Fahrenheit or 63 to 64 degrees Celsius. And then medium fermentability uh, plus some a little bit higher extract than if you were to rest low and is a good compromise for both enzymes. Uh, do a single rest at 150 to 153 degrees Fahrenheit or 65 to 67 degrees Celsius. And then lower fermentability uh, and even higher extract, but lower ethanol in the finished product, uh, you're going to want to do a single rest at 154 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit or 68 to 71 degrees Celsius. So that's really kind of that in a nutshell um, and then when you're doing a single infusion uh, well any mash uh, mash thickness is a consideration as well so the amount of liquor or hot liquor or hot water you're going to mash with um, versus the amount of grain you have you can actually change the fermentability uh, with the amount of water for a set amount of grain but the effect isn't as drastic as temperature. However, it can be used to control alkalinity and different stuff like that. So there are a lot of things to consider, but I won't go into those today. So for a reasonable amount of water that will do you just fine to start out, uh, using 1.3 to 1.5 quarts of water per pound of grain is perfect. Um, so if you have uh, 10 pounds of grain, do use... 13 to 15 quarts of water. Super easy. And if you're someone who is actually using useful units, that's also two and a half to three liters of water per kilogram of grain. Again, if you're using five kilograms of grain, uh, you're going to want to be mashing with 11 to 15 liters of water. Super simple. Um, so just choose a temperature you want to rest at based on the style and kind of what you want to get out of the beer. 
let your mash rest for 30 minutes or so, depending on the amount of time you want to allot. You'll see increased extraction up until about an hour of mashing. After that, the increase in extract is pretty minimal. That's why most people rest about an hour is because the actual extraction or concentration of sugars goes up fairly significantly uh, until it hits that wall and you just get you plateau in your diminishing returns. But even if you were to do just half an hour, you're gonna get most of the way there. But I, I personally have seen between that half an hour to an hour, it makes enough difference for me to just do the full hour because I've got the time. I don't have kids. But some things to consider, uh, take really good notes on temperature of your equipment and ingredients uh, to get consistent strike temperature calculations to nail your target rest temperatures. This takes a few brews and diligent note taking to really dial in and also take note on liquor to grist ratio and temperatures as higher to grist as higher liquor or water to grist ratios will need lower strike temps to hit your target temperature and vice versa. So then that brings me to step mashes and decoction mashes. These are very similar to each other, but a decoction mash is a different procedure. They're trying to accomplish ultimately similar things, but step mashing produces less melanoidins, caramelization, and so on. So it's a method of doing different mash temperatures with a little bit of a gentler process if you don't want the results decoction brewing creates. Uh, for example, uh, I did a, an episode on Kolsch the, uh, a few weeks ago, I think, and uh, one of the things is Kolsch should be a light drinkable beer and you don't necessarily want those stronger malty flavors coming out um, that you would get in a decoction mash. So a, a lot of traditional Kolsch breweries will um, utilize step mashes because uh, it increases the fermentability of their wort. It gives them more control over that without having to do decoction. So step mashes can be done in a couple of ways. One is just directly heating the mash. Super easy. Um, I'll do this from time to time. I have a mash kettle like hybrid thing. And so I'm actually able to recirculate. I, I've got a little pump that I can uh, take a wart from the bottom of my mash tun and re recirculate through the top. And as that's going, I'll actually um, have the flame on super low at the very at the bottom of my kettle because it's a nice kettle. It, it's it's a uh, it's got a really thick, heavy bottom to it, so I'm not super concerned about scorching um, and keeping that flame low. Uh, it does a pretty good job of heating up to my next uh, mash temperature and works super well. So you can do it that way. Uh, a lot of breweries have. Uh, a lot of professional breweries will have actually steam jackets uh, around their mash tons, and so they can do step mashes that way and aren't uh, concerned about scorching because that's one of the best things about having a boiler and doing uh, steam-heated, uh, jacketed kettles and mash tons and stuff is you are not concerned about scorching. But anyway, um, another way you can do a step mash, it, it can be done with an, an infusion of hot water. So if you're starting in a certain rest temperature, say you're mashing at 140 degrees and want to bump that up to 158 or something, um, your mash, you're going to want that to be, you know, relatively thick so that when you're starting at that certain rest temperature, you can add 
uh, X amount of boiling water to your mesh to raise the temp to your next desired temperature. This is useful and easy, but it does limit the amount of rest temps you can do before your mesh is too thin. And especially if you live at higher elevations like I do, where the boiling uh, water temp is 200 degrees instead of 212, makes it a little like you have to add a lot more water. But it can be done that way, and it, it can be extremely useful. Decoction mashing is another way to incorporate different steps or, or different mash rest temperatures into your mashing regimen. And simply put, a decoction is you're going to mash in at your starting temperature, and that's up to you, uh, depending on how many decoctions you want to pull. And so the basic idea is you're going to add a decent bit more water than in a single infusion mash uh, because you want to get all of those enzymes that you want working on your wort, uh, like beta and uh, alpha amylase. You want those, because they are water highly water-soluble, they're going to be extracted into that water. And so then you can safely pull the grains, um, so the thick portion of your mash, uh, pull those out into a separate vessel, boil it for, it's going to depend on your beer style that you're wanting to make, so a light style like a German Pilsner or something, you're going to be boiling that for like 15 minutes, but something like a Doppelbach or one of those uh, darker, more malty German style lagers, you're probably going to want to develop more of those melanoidin characters and stuff. So boil that for longer, I, I don't, 30, 45 minutes. But um, yeah, just do that for longer for a darker style of beer, uh, just to develop more of those melanoidin flavors. And decoction really is just kind of, it's so fascinating uh, when you think about it because it's it's a reliable way of raising these your mash temperatures and it's surprisingly reliable and when you have a you've dialed in your liquor to grist ratio and stuff like that pulling that grain boiling it and then adding it back in gives you a surprisingly accurate and reliable um, step up increase and how well it fits with the uh, enzymes that are actually working and doing things within your wart it it's pretty incredible and so this is a wonderful way to make a difference in your beer um, one of the things with decoction and step mashing as well uh, I've, I've already mentioned is that you can choose how many decoctions you pull, so you can choose how many rest temperatures you're doing. Um, I know Pilsner Urkel and, and others, they famously uh, do a triple decoction. So they're pulling three decoctions, so they're resting at four different mash temperatures. Um, the choice is yours, uh, depending on your grist, the type of beer you're making and all that, how many decoctions you actually want to pull in a mash, or how much time you want to spend in your brew day mashing. Um, I, I know a lot of people compromise and just do a, a, just pull a single decoction so that they're not spending six hours mashing their, their uh, grains before they're even uh, loudering and, and boiling and all that. 
So you can do a rest temp at 140, pull a single decoction, and raise that up to 155 or so, depending on you know how much how much grain you're actually pulling and stuff like that. Uh, I can't tell you whether or not it is worth it to do this style of mashing, but I can tell you my personal experiences with it. Uh, I personally find that there is a difference, and it is subtle, but it is there. And um, there, again, there are arguments that uh, the the disadvantages uh, outweigh any flavor changes or advantages in flavor that you're going to get. Um, so it's up to you. If you're considering doing a step mash or a decoction mash, um, you should know the different, the few different rest temperatures and what they do. Um, for you to be able to decide which which rests you want to do and and stuff like that. So the first one being an acid rest. This is probably done by very few brewers anymore, but it can be useful for undermodified and very lightly kilned malt. This is a rest where the enzyme phytase reduces the pH of the mash by creating phytic acid. Um, this rest temp can also help in the production of ferulic acid and promoting clove-like flavors in Hefeweizens. So it's a consideration for those German wheat beers as well. And for this rest, uh, you want a mash temp uh, around 93 to 113 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 to 45 degrees Celsius. Rest for 15 minutes or so before jumping to the next rest temp using your method of choice, whether that's decoction or a step mash. And if you're doing the ferulic acid rest, uh, you should be doing it on the high end of this acid rest range. So 112 or 113 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be 44 to 45-ish degrees Celsius. And then from there, um, typically, you go from that acid rest temperature to a protein rest. And the protein rest is yet another one that should be utilized for lower modified malt. Um, a few different protein degrading enzymes work in this range to turn long chain, long chain proteins into medium length proteins that help contribute to that help contribute to head retention and reduces haze in your final product. Um, but you don't really do a rest here unless your malt is truly under modified or has a high percentage of like high protein malts like uh, oats or rye or unmalted stuff. Um, a rest at the higher end of the protein rest range will benefit the high protein grists and aid in head retention, efficiency, and lauderability. Um, so this Rest has a wide range from 113 to 138 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's like a 25 degree range, uh, or 44 to 59 degrees Celsius. But if you're doing this rest, you probably want the higher end of this at 131 to 138 degrees Fahrenheit, or 55 to 58 degrees Celsius. Hold for 30 minutes until the next step up. And then this next step up is going to be your sacrification rest. 
So this is the rest that you have to do and is basically what you're looking for in a single infusion rest. You can do multiple rests within this range to give opportunities to both alpha and beta amylase at their respective highest activities uh, to get maximum extraction and fermentability. Uh, that would be beta at 143 degrees Fahrenheit or 62 degrees Celsius, and then alpha at 158 degrees Fahrenheit or 70 degrees Celsius. But it isn't needed. That choice is on you to make. You can go um, from a protein rest, if you're doing that, or an acid rest, to a sacrification rest of 150 and just be done. That's what I mean by really controlling your, your grist and stuff by looking at these different enzymatic activity ranges and seeing, okay, what malt am I using? Um, what do I want out of the finished beer? And then be able to determine if you want to do step mashes in general, and then which ones to actually hit. So again, that sacrification is a wide range. And refer back to the single infusion segment, the, that temp is going to be about 145 degrees Fahrenheit to 158 or 63 to 70 degrees Celsius. And then you can also do a mash out at 175 degrees Celsius or 175 degrees Fahrenheit or 79 degrees Celsius if you want to halt enzyme activity immediately and quote unquote lock in wort fermentability and make wort less viscous for better louder. I haven't found any issue with skipping this, but do it if you feel you must. And there you have it. That's mashing in a nutshell. So to recap some important points, uh, get to know your equipment, process, and preferred water amount to nail your strike temperatures and uh, mash target temps. Choose malts and beer styles that are fit for the type of mashing you want to do. So lower modified or high protein grists for step mashing or decoction mashing. Um, liquor to grist ratio is something to consider. Uh, if you're looking to control your pH, alkalinity, and efficiencies more. Uh, however, to start out, that good starting point is 1.3 quarts per pound or 2.5 liters per kilo. And then higher temperatures in the sacrification rest lead to lower fermentability, lower alcohol, and vice versa. I think that's about it. If I missed anything or if you have more questions, send me an email. Uh, that's Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, -T, at progressyourbeer.com. Uh, I'll, I'll put that address in the show notes as well. I want all of your feedback and questions. I decided to do this episode based on feedback I got from a subscriber. So this is really helpful for me to deliver content and information you're looking for. And again, reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated on your platform of choice. Helps me reach and help as many people as I can. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. Cheers.